Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, March 10th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. Sarah Abbott is working from her home in Nebraska. I'm Buster Only, working from my home studio in New York. An update on the labor talks. Where did she go? Really gonna miss you. <laughs> Fatality. <laughs> oh man. Oh boy. That yeah, that's where we are. Major League Baseball's opening day has been delayed until at least April 14th, uh, after the two sides couldn't reach an agreement uh, in negotiations that extended all the way through Tuesday and into Wednesday. Uh, Major League Baseball announced that the games are canceled up until April 14th. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I checked with sources this morning about where these stands, about what's next, the conversation take place. I got back. I don't know. There is a clear path, uh, you know, for the two sides to get uh, to get to a deal, but there's a big fight over the qualifying offer, over the international draft. They have seemingly gotten a lot closer on the CBT levels. We'll be talking about all that with Paul and Bikidis. Uh, coming up. Uh, Some other notes. Uh, Apple Major League Baseball announced that there's going to be a Friday night baseball package. Uh, Major League Baseball, in response to a fund that was started by the Player Association last week, announced that they are going to have a $1 million fund for ballpark workers. Uh, That, of course, you know, I think they were fell behind in the PR war and they're trying to catch up right there. Uh, And our Jesse Rogers reported earlier in the week that among the rule changes that Major League Baseball is eyeing, a pitch clock, 14 seconds with bases empty, 19 seconds with runners on base. They're also talking about banning some shifts, although it's not clear yet exactly what form that would take, and they're talking about using bigger bases. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, March is here. The madness is upon us. Get ready for your bracket by listening to Bald Men on Campus featuring College Game Day's three Fogley Challenge hosts, Jay Billis, Lafonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Uh, I'm actually going into the office in Bristol to record a monster NCAA tournament preview right after the bracket is released. So uh, I'll be meeting Jay Billis and Lafonso Ellis in person for the first time before I've met you, Buster. So uh, we'll take note of that. Then uh, we're doing two episodes a week throughout the tournament. Very exciting. You can listen to Ballman on campus wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, Laughter Permitted with Julie Foudy is back. Julie is back for her sixth season of the podcast. She has great guests lined up for the coming episodes. But for her first show back, she's looking back at previous seasons, playing clips, handing out awards. If you've never dipped your toe into Laughter Permitted, uh, this could be a good entry point for you. So check out Laughter Permitted wherever you listen to your podcast and watch NBA Today at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on ESPN and the ESPN app. You can also listen to the show as a podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. 
So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Rich Hill will be pitching for the Boston Red Sox, assuming that we have a 2022 season. Rich, how are you doing? Good, Buster. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, joining us. Real quick, uh, before I ask you about some of these proposed rule changes, Tell me how you're following this news, because you and I are taping at about 1230 on Wednesday. It feels like the negotiations are at a tipping point. Maybe by the end of the day, we hear you know, the news that uh, things get done. How closely are you following it minute to minute? Yeah, I've been following it from our, our representative, Nick Pavetta, uh, who's who's keeping all the players uh, with the Red Sox up to uh, speed with what's going on. Um, I think part of it, a lot of it has become closed doors now and, and they're really trying to get things done for, for the right reasons, obviously to get the season and 162 underway, uh, would be great for everybody. I know, uh, every time I go for a run or, or hit the grocery store, it seems like you run into somebody who wants to know what's going on and when we're going to have baseball. So that's, that's on the, the front of everybody's mind, especially now in the Northeast when the weather's starting to turn and get a little bit better and, and, uh, little league baseball is right around the corner as well. So, um, that's, you know, that's where I'm getting my information. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a third party, uh, distance. Um, and some of it I'm picking up on, on, on TV as well. So very similar to, I'm sure the way, uh, minus the fact of getting it from our player, uh, you know, uh, representatives from uh, almost the same as everybody else. How tense is it for you, uh, like getting that news or is it anxious or are you at like, I, for example, a couple weeks ago, I had a conversation with Tony Kemp of the Oakland Athletics and he was like, you know what, I, I don't I can't control it. So I don't really worry about it. Yeah, I definitely uh, can see that sentiment from Tony and I, and I feel the same way. It's kind of, you know, out of my hands and I can give my uh, two cents from the sideline and, and tell Nick what I think about certain maybe issues that have popped up and where I stand on, on, uh, different things that have come across their table and, and what they're talking about. But, um, and all that helps, I think, uh, kind of form, form a little bit more of an answer that they're looking for from the player side to get the right, uh, proposal across for MLB. And then also, you know, for both sides to come together, just looking forward to, um, you know, seeing where we're going to end up here as soon as possible so we can get the season underway. Um, and, and the, the thing that the only one thing that, doesn't make it as frustrating for me is that knowing what guys did in the in the past for us in the situations that we're in as major league players is what we're doing for the guys who are coming up after us and I and that that you know gives me a little bit more of a sense of direction of where we're going and a little bit more of a you know not not so much that I don't want the season to start but make sure that we get this agreement right and that we move forward for for the betterment of the game. 
I wanted to get your perspective on some of the rules uh, changes, potential rule changes that Major League Baseball is forwarding during the course of these conversations. And, um, you know, because it's one thing to talk about them on paper. It's a whole other thing to actually try to implement them. Uh, and we'll start with this, the pitch clock. Uh, yeah. you know, according to the, what's being discussed, 14 seconds between pitches with no runners on base, 19 seconds between pitches if there are runners on base. When you saw those numbers, what was your thought? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if we're going to have to implement something, which I'm against, I don't really believe baseball's never been timed. It's it's a sport about coming home, right? So it's not about, you know, uh, it's it's one of the unique factors that baseball has is that there is no clock. And um, I don't see the the huge gain in, in, in time advantage that we're going to get as opposed to actually seeing what the penalties are going to be, um, you know, if you don't make it within the 14 seconds or the 19 seconds. And then, you know, is it going to be a ball? Is it going to is it going to is it going to have implications on on the outcome of a game, which certainly will. It doesn't matter if it's in the first inning or it's the ninth inning and a full count and the bases are loaded. And, you know, hey, that's ball four. Now, all of a sudden you walk the run home. And, uh, you know, because of the, the pitch clock, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I think what really needs to be looked at is being able to come up with a quicker answer to uh, instant replay or the replays. And just having that, uh, you know, get that back quicker um, to the umpires from New York than, than some of the times that have taken. Because it can take up to five, six minutes. I've seen it, you know, go on for, for quite a while uh, where obviously they want to get the call right. but you know, in the, in the, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things in the entire, you know, how much time is that taking up as opposed to just having maybe like a red light or a green light saying he's, he's safe or he's out or it's a fair, it's a foul ball uh, where it could take just seconds and we continue to keep the moving uh, progress of the game going. Um, but then what about if the batter steps out of the box? You know, how does that affect, does it reset? Um, now, you know, it, a lot of things are going to, cause the core, the, just the way the game is, um, you know, choreographed and, and how the, you know, the pitcher might be out there and, and conducting, uh, there's a whole, to me, there's a whole, uh, other art form that's going on as opposed to just robotically getting the ball, getting ready and then pitch, get the ball. You know, there's, there's timing in between pitches from the pitcher standpoint, there's a stepping out of the, of the box with the batter. I mean, maybe if we could look at it, uh, I don't even know. I was thinking in like, maybe the first three innings, but, but every, every, in my opinion, and every uh, at bat, there is something where there's a little bit more time that is taken. And why are you taking an extra three or four seconds or five seconds in between pitches uh, or the, or the wet, the timing of when the hitter steps out, it, it creates that cat and mouse game between the hitter and the pitcher that we could, we could end up losing. Um, so I, you know, that's where I'm not a fan of it. Uh, but if it is going to be implemented, um, you know, I just, I just hope that the penalties for, uh, you know, is there going to be a warning? Um, is there going to be just go right into, you know, that's a ball or that's a strike, which I don't know. I, you know, if, if it's, uh, and, and again, is there implications for the hitter as well as the pitcher? I don't think it's just, you know, always the pitcher that's taking the time, um, in between pitches. Yeah. My sense is from what I, you know, I'd have asked that question is that it will be, uh, you know, a ball strike count will be assessed a ball if the pitcher, you know, doesn't deliver the ball within that time frame. And for hitters, a strike would be given to them too, if they're not back in the yeah. box. My instinct and, and, you know, that's me having not, not advanced past junior varsity uh, ball at Northman Mount Herman uh, is that the advantage would swing toward the hitter. Uh, yeah. 
in this. Tell me what your your feeling is. Uh, if that's yeah, I think I, you know, and at the, at the same time, I just feel that it's 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 a game that isn't again supposed to be played with a clock. It was never the intention when the rules were made. It was always you know three outs in in each half of the inning, uh, twenty seven outs uh, in the in the game for each side, and just trying to be able to. Um, you know, get as many runs home. I don't, I just don't, I don't really agree with, with the idea that we're going to have to come under because it is going to have implications on, on games. And it's kind of say, wow, remember the game when he, he didn't get the pitch off in time and, you know, he ended up striking out or he ended up, um, I don't know, you know, fought, you know, uh, walking the, the player home. So I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't feel comfortable about it and I don't think it's right. Um, you know, I guess, yeah, I don't. I just don't see a see a really good solution to it, other than just leave the game alone the way it is, and you know let let the players play the game. And and uh, again, if we want to get back to, is that really the issue? That is, is it? Is it? Is it? And how much time is that going to save? You know, how much time is it going to save during the course of a game, during the course of a year? Um, especially when people come to see the game, they want to see the game. Um, I don't think that they want to see a, you know, just a quick, you know, blip of a game or a seven inning game or a shortened game or anything that isn't other than a nine inning game and what they paid to come and see. Um, I don't know. That's the way I look at it. Uh, they're talking about banning shifts in some form or fashion from what I understand, they haven't pinned that down. You know, there's a phrase that some of the members of the committee have used spikes in the dirt. That's one option where you tell all the infielders, look, you have to have spikes in the dirt. You're not allowed to be on the outfield oh. grass. Uh, another potential option, or maybe they'll do both, is to use second base as a demarcation line. If you're uh, playing third base or shortstop, you're not allowed to pass, cross over to the second base side, the first base side of uh, of that line. If you're on the first base side, you're not allowed to pass over the other side. What do you think about that? How much of an impact do you think it'll have? I think it'll have a huge impact. Uh, you know, hitters are going to, uh, benefit greatly from, you know, being, you know, you're going to see the guys that are pull hitters be able to continue to be pull hitters. Um, I think we go back to, I guess, if you want to say the Williams shift when Ted Williams was shifted and, and uh, you know, having to force him go the other way, but uh, we're, we're a lot of this started. Uh, so it's been around for quite a while, um, but I definitely do agree in the last, especially uh, seven years, I've seen a, a dramatic change on the field where you know, specifically every single hitter has uh, a demarcated spot where that infielder or outfielder is going to be. And then in some cases where you're seeing now, and I saw it, I think it was for the first time last year, and I know it happened in previous years, but just for me seeing it live where we had four outfielders, um, you know, is that going to be implemented as well? Like where you can't have an infielder go to the outfield? Um, I, you know, again, it's, it's, it's trying to play the game, and, and is, is there a better way to play? I'm sure there is a better way analytically. There is a better way on paper, but the way the game was meant to be played is, is I think, perfect and, and just great in its own right. Where we're starting to, I think, possibly one of the solutions could be uh, with the shift is keeping the infielders on the infield, like you said, like keeping the, the spikes, spikes in, the in, 
yeah, spikes in the dirt and, and making sure that if we do, you know, if there is a shift, let's say the third baseman goes over to the, you know, in between uh, second and, and first base, they have to be on the infield. I could see that working. Um, because you've seen a lot of those hits that guys have, uh, especially I'm just thinking in, in particular with left-handers that are left-handed pull hitters that pull the ball to the right side. And, you know, you see that line drive going to the second baseman's head, but there's the third baseman playing shallow right. He's throwing him Yeah, I, I remember baseman. doing a game. We had a Padre game on Sunday Night Baseball last year. Manny Machado was like playing like 280 feet out in right field. Yeah. You know, yeah. In a Padre game. I, and I mean, we've seen, you know, third baseman used in short outfield, but now it feels like they're even going deeper than ever. Yeah. And I, and that's, that is, that's a great point. And I think, you know, obviously with, with guys ability to feel more comfortable out there and now we're, we're getting more comfortable with the players shifting. I think that, you know, we're starting to see the advantage going towards the defense and, and uh, the analytical decisions that can be made. I, and, and, you know, not always been one to be a fan of the shift just because I don't believe in leaving an entire side of the field open when a guy can come up and, you know, if he drops a bunt down on the left-hand side and sometimes we've seen it become a double. Um, but, you know, it's almost giving away a, a, a free hit if the hitter wants to take advantage of it. I think that's something that, uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, we're starting to see on the field and, and that, that, that tends to kind of lessen the the product value uh, that people are paying to come and see. So I think maybe, um, you know, either, either or keeping the spikes in the dirt and, or, um, you know, limiting the shift to, to where second base would be the, you know, kind of the line in the sand, so to say. Um, I think that that makes sense to me. And, and I'm sure a lot of players would be on board with that too. Um, not only, you know, uh, pitchers, but also, but also hitters. Uh, the bigger bases at first base. I mean, that to me is 95% about player safety. Uh, you know, the, to, to give the runner and the first baseman, the pitcher covering more room uh, and to avoid collisions. What do you think? Yeah, I think that just makes sense. I think that makes sense uh, coming, you know, coming uh, from seeing uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was Bryce Harper where he slipped on top of the base. And, you know, that's another side of it too. What are the bases going to be? How is that going to eliminate um, injuries for the players when they're, you know, hustling down the line um, and it's a rainy night and the base is wet? Uh, what kind of material are they going to use to prevent something like that happening uh, from a guy, you know, Steven Souza Jr. running across, uh, was it, did he jump or did he slip on home plate? I think he yeah. slipped on, he slipped on home plate. Um, and that was in Arizona, I believe. Uh, yep. So it, it, it is some of these, uh, you know, health and safety issues are interesting, but I think, you know, making the base a little bit bigger, I don't think would be, um, cause for, for any concern because I think, or, you know, from, from both sides, just because it, it leads into, uh, you know, protecting the, the player and, and still providing a, you know, the quality product on the field. So last summer at the all-star game, I had a member of the, the union leadership come up to me and ask me and, you know, okay, what major rule change would you love to see? Uh, and I mentioned that I thought that something done to restore the preeminence of the starting pitcher is something that the sport badly needed uh, because I, I'm personally not a fan of the, you know, the parade of reliever strategy, 14 pitchers. And, yeah. and I thought, you know, that was good, not only for the product, because I feel like that 
uh, you know, folks like yourself and Madison Bumgarner and Kershaw, uh, you know, you guys need to be the Hulk Hogan's of the sport. You know, you need to yeah. be the headliners of the sport and to reduce a starting pitcher to an average, you know, outing of four and two thirds innings is not good in terms of selling mm-hmm. the product. Um, but also I thought it was important for the union because yeah. starting pitchers have always been the guys who push the ceiling. And so I've actually been surprised that that has not been more of the conversation about, uh, and, and I, you know, my own feeling is that if you told managers going into a game uh, with obvious exceptions for extra innings and for injuries, you can only use five pitchers in yeah. a nine inning game, something like yeah. that. I thought that was going to be part of the conversation this year. Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, you, Buster, you bring up a great point where, you know, you're devaluing the starting pitcher's value uh, by limiting them to a, you know, whether you want to say third time through the order, uh, a pitch limit and or uh, marking kind of the progress via um, external sources uh, other than the coach's eyes. So if players are being monitored during the game, maybe let's just use StatCast or use TrackMan, um, which is going on um, during the game where you can track the player's kind of progress and where his arm slot is and if there is any. And and, and obviously it, it kind of comes back to, oh, well, that's to protect you, the player. Well, I would argue the other way that, yes, you know, over the course of a game, players may not continue to keep the same release point or the same arm slot. However, they get more creative during the game um, and they understand how to pitch. That's the biggest thing. We're getting away from that, that kind of idea of pitching and we're becoming more throwers. is what I'm seeing a lot in, 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 in baseball in general, not only major league baseball, but if you put on Instagram or, uh, you know, YouTube or um, Twitter or anything, everybody's just trying to throw as hard as they can. And then, you know, everybody's really excited about that. But um, I think that from the, again, yes, devaluing the starting pitcher. And then to your point, you know, you're starting to see and, and also devaluing the reliever um, in, yeah. in that in that case where you're not the having demand. The, the larger yeah. number of guys, which I think we're going to play it whenever there's a resolution. Uh, we're going to see the, you know, the group of relief pitchers get absolutely hammered um, yeah. you know, in terms of what the salary offers are. Yeah. Well, I mean, we saw that. I, I can think of one in particular with Tyler Clippert a couple of years ago, uh, yeah. you know, obviously an excellent reliever in, in Major League Baseball. has had a great career um, and, you know, was sitting out in the open market for quite some time after having a good year the prior uh, year and, uh, you know, not signed until I think it was almost spring training. Um, and a lot of this, you know, by major league teams and, and ownership on major league teams, understanding and general managers understanding that they can use uh, spring training as the backboard um, for the players uh, to, you know, make, make decisions because they, they have to and, and not act as early in, in free agency, but, but push the player all the way to spring training and say, well, I got to make a decision. And then when you get three of the same offers from three different teams, you're asking, well, what is going on? Is this collusion or, or how is everybody coming to the same, the same answer? Um, I don't know what the answer to that is uh, as far as being able to get guys uh, uh, what they're due in, in free agency. But um, one thing that I think that we should have went for was the salary floor or the, with the CBT is a floor with the CBT, not the salary floor, but the CBT floor and being able to have penalties that would incur if, if teams would go under that, because that will bring up, you know, again, um, I, th- I believe they have it in hockey. Is that correct? Do they have that in hockey? Right. Um, CBT yeah, floor I think so the yeah. other sports all basically have some sort of a, a floor and, and cap system. 
Yeah, I mean, it, look, if you're going to penalize the owners for going over, why don't you penalize them for going under? I, I just, I, it just makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree that the headliners should be the pitchers, starting pitchers. Um, you know, you're always going to talk about your three, four hitters and talk about your leadoff hitter who hopefully we get back to more stolen bases, um, you know, and, and, and first taking guys going from first to third and guys hitting the other way with maybe limiting the shifts now and being able to see a little bit more baseball be played instead of, uh, paint by numbers. And that's what I think a lot of it has been is just, and if you, if you talk to a majority of the managers, I believe in, in baseball, they want to manage the game. They're managers for a reason. They, they got put in that position uh, because of their knowledge and, and, you know, their ability to be able to uh, work a lineup and, and work a roster uh, not to be handed the sheet and say, okay, red, green, this is what we want you to do. Uh, we're going to give you no ability to manage a team. We're going to take that ability out of your hands. And this is how, this is what we want you to follow. There's going to be more of a, you know, a collaboration between the two, the front office and, 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 you know, the guys in the uniform where they can come together and say, okay, I see this. I don't see that. Let's talk about it and figure out how we can get to a better answer. And also uh, at the end of the day, I think it would be a better product for the fans coming in to see the game. All right, Rich. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we'll see you on the field very soon. All right, Buster. Thanks for having me. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Paul McKitty's a researcher for ESPN who's become the head honcho of the show. Get up. And today, uh, Hembo, I like you well enough to know that I'm not going to challenge, uh, you know, what you claim to be in the show. Get up. Is that OK? <laughs> yes, we have much bigger fish to fry. We do have much bigger fish to fry. All right. Uh, give me your general overall view of where the negotiations stand. You know, the big uh, at this point, the big bottleneck is over the qualifying offer with the union wanting to get rid of it so that free agents are unrestricted. I know, you know, an internal uh, review of the qualifying offer on the player's side suggests it maybe cost them like five hundred million dollars. Uh, because some teams just won't bid on guys who are attached to draft pick compensation. Uh, there is no question that is a major issue. Um, and one that I understand the players have prioritized. What I can't wrap my head around is the fact that that, along with more recently, the international draft conflict, if you will, is becoming is a, is a conversation coming to its head 
three weeks before opening day was supposed to be. It's unfathomable to me that these, I mean, these are not inconsequential issues, but in and of themselves, these are things that we knew were going to be issues this offseason for two years. So I think the combination of the owner's unwillingness to budge and the fact that they have leverage now that we're starting to, you know, delay games combined with the, you know, the disorganization of the players from their front, as best I can tell, they've done a, a, a very poor job of even communicating amongst themselves. So look, as a, as a lifelong fan of the sport, like these issues singularly are just not that interesting. Like th- that boardroom that they're meeting in, that has, that has become a mausoleum where baseball goes to die, right? And as a fan, like all I want is for all these bad actors to be able to somehow, some way put aside their differences as quickly as possible. But like, I've gotten so bogged down now with these individual issues that it's become like painful to read about. And I'd imagine in, in your reporting as well, like it's reading this, these, these articles and, and, and these reports, it's, it's like having a root canal as a lifelong fan of the sport. And as someone who just loves baseball, it's so terribly ashamed that, that this is the best we can do. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, there are two parts and, and I'm with you. I don't want to get too deeply in the weeds on this, but I got two observations about you know, the whole issue of the international draft that the players yesterday, uh, player leadership were polling players informally through the, the team representatives in the middle of the afternoon on this issue seems absurd to me. Like this is something that should have been wrapped up in terms of the perspective from the player's side last freaking summer. Maybe it would help if you had one player in the executive committee who was an international player. Like we've talked about the lack of diversity on the ownership negotiating committee, same thing applies to the players negotiating committee. My second observation, and I saw yesterday, and I can't remember which reporter uh, had this, but you know, credit to that person, that the slot bonuses for the top of the draft, the international draft, the proposed international draft, would be worth about 60, 65% of what players get in the domestic draft. Major League Baseball, Hembo, better clean that up. <laughs> mm, the goodness. idea that you're going to have an international draft where players are getting significantly less money than they do in the domestic draft. You talk about a bad look. They got they got to figure that out. And maybe they, you know, narrow the money down down the line. But with the first round players it needs to be identical. What do you think? Uh, I no, that's that's exactly right. You know, the notion that an international player drafted receives only a fraction of of a domestic player is I can't think of a worse message you could possibly send no. or worst op- uh, optics that you could create for yourself. But I just want to reiterate one more time. These are all things we knew were going to be issues of disagreement. We're three, we, opening day was supposed to be three weeks from today. The disorganization by both of these parties that had years to put this kind of stuff together and the fact that, like you said, the players have to pull people like on the fly, like my cousin Vinny style on another fake deadline we have created like an Abbott and Costello routine. Unfortunately, the hopes and dreams of millions of baseball fans are at stake. All right. Yesterday, Steve Cohen, the Mets owner, who of course seems to be the target of the uh, competitive uh, balance tax, the luxury taxes that the owners want to apply because he's the one owner who's been aggressively spending this winter. And it's always been the fear among other owners that you get the George Steinbrenner like owner who's going to go way above and beyond other owners uh, he yesterday uh, liked a tweet by a Royals blogger named David Lesky, which read, maybe I'm way off here, but I don't think MLB would ever accept an offer from the MLBPA. They want to have the upper hand. They want their offer accepted or denied. 
uh, Joel Sherman of the New York Post, uh, who's, who has done a lot of reporting uh, around Steve Cohen, uh, reached out to him and Steve Cohen told him that uh, the like that he had was totally unintentional and he doesn't even know how to retweet. Hembo, are you buying that explanation? No. Um, Steve Cohen <laughs> is dad on Facebook. He just happens to have billions of dollars and um, most everything. Like we, I spent more time last year on the radio talking about Steve Cohen than his, than his team. Like that's his, his online uh, behavior has long been irresponsible. And I guess when you have that much money, it just doesn't much matter. Here's where I come down on the competitive balance tax. And I did some research for you over the weekend in this regard. Like generally speaking, I find the fact that this whole thing is such a large sort of like cloud hanging over the sport as something of a racket. Okay. Because over the previous five years, the life of the previous collective bargaining agreement, a total of 13 times did a team, did a team exceed the CBT tax over the course of five years. So that's 30 teams over the course of five years. Those 13 times, Teams combined to pay a total of $140 million in penalties. We're talking about over the course of a long period of time and every team in the sport, something that approximates a rounding error, to be totally frank. The, the sport, and as someone who sees how the, how the sport has sort of devolved economically, baseball's problem by a long shot has much more to do with the bottom of the uh, payroll structure than at the top. If there's going to be one or two rogue owners that want to spend lots of money, it's not going to really matter that much where you put the CBT tax. Because honestly, Buster, as I look through this uh, through, through these uh, series of numbers, none of these fines are all that significant. $140 million over the course of five years. That's what Javier Baez is going to make by himself over the next six. This is not a thing. If Major League Baseball wanted to, if, if the players really wanted to take this thing seriously, they would have actually considered what Major League Baseball countered with when they suggested a $100 million salary floor. Now, I think 180 uh, as a cap was too low. But if you were to ask me, if you had set a floor at 100, ceiling at something approximating 200, which is maybe just maybe something the owners would consider, that is a good deal for the players because the player's problem and the owner's problem is not what's at the top. It's at what's at the bottom because those guys aren't spending. They, they are engaging in non-competitive behavior. More than a third of the league last year failed to, to, to spend $100 million on payroll. Buster, that to me is far and away a bigger problem than anything happening at the top. Yeah, Rich Hill just made reference to that in the interview that I did with him, uh, the whole ceiling and floor. And I, I really believe that no matter what happens with this negotiation, that you are going to see within the union uh, a push and pull, a tug, a, you know, uh, a, a, a disagreements, I think, over what's happening with the middle class. Because I'm that when this deal is signed, the middle class free agents are going to get absolutely destroyed. They're going to pay for the tickets that haven't been sold during this lockout uh, in terms of the offers that they get. And I'm shocked again, as I was in 2016, that the non-competitive behavior, the tanking has not really been addressed in this negotiation. You know, I started writing about tanking like in 2013 saying, this is terrible for the sport. The union didn't address it at all in that negotiation. They have one misdemeanor uh, type element that they're putting into this, uh, you know, into these talks right now with this uh, draft lottery system. But you and I know that's not going to compel the Orioles to, you know, spend, spend money. No, there, there has been nothing that I have read in any of the last, you know, two months of negotiations or whatever that suggests major league baseball is making any ground in this area, making up any ground in this area. And for my money, and this has come from you over the last several years, this might be baseball's biggest problem. So I looked at the total number of instances in which a team won 
fewer than 40% of its games in regular season. I did it that way because we had a shortened season a couple of years ago. And over the life of this CBA, the most recent CBA, there were 18 such teams. In the previous uh, five years, Buster, there were 10. Wow. The series before that, there were 10. And then the CBA before that, there were nine. In other words, twice as many teams are, quote, you know, quote unquote, tanking. And some of those teams are just bad. But over the course of a five-year period, it is insane that 18 teams played at a 98-loss pace or, or more. That's imp- like It's hard to lose 98 games in baseball, how long that season is and how, how, um, how similar these rosters at least should be. So for my money, that's why the competitive balance floor would be huge. And it, it is watered down the product so much so that games in August and September often don't matter. You shouldn't have half-empty stadiums. In August and September, because you know the, the the Baltimore Orioles are in town, it's not it's not appropriate, and in no other sport does it happen. I got two minutes left with you. Uh, two more issues. Uh, give me an evaluation of Rob Manfred. So I think Rob Manfred is sort of, if you were to boil all the stuff he does down to two different things, it would be he's a lawyer for the owners, as you put it, and he is a steward of the game, as sort of I would put it. By that standard of measure, I think he's done one of those jobs really well. And one of those jobs, I think he's represented his owners just fine because they keep hiring him. They pay him a lot of money and they send him out there anytime that there's a, a squabble of any kind. We saw him you know, take the slings and arrows, uh, whatever it was, a week, week or two ago when he said for the first time he was going to cancel games. Uh, but I think in an honest moment, even Rob would tell you, maybe now, maybe years down the road, that he's not done a good enough job at the second job because when you're the person in charge of major league baseball it is not merely your job to appease the 30 people that you know quote unquote employ you it is also your job to oversee our national game that will last for years after he's done and was so incredibly popular for hundreds of years before he got here and baseball i guess like anything we really hold dear is something that we should consider fragile and something that requires astute leadership to keep it going as it should. Like things naturally deteriorate. Things don't naturally get better. And baseball has naturally deteriorated a lot in multiple ways under Rob Manfred. Now, you only evaluate, if you only treat baseball like it's a business and ignore the fact that fans form relationships with teams and players, then again, you're only doing half of your job. And look, if you get a 50 on a test, you failed the test. I wanted to ask you, too, about the general coverage of this, uh, which was a subject of an article written by Ben Strauss, of the Washington Post the other day. And it contained a line from Scott Boris, uh, the agent, super agent, uh, who, you know, the perception is, is that because he has he represents five of the eight members of the players executive committee has held a, held a lot of influence in this negotiation. OK, and mm-hmm. one of those the quote from Scott Boris in this article was about the coverage. It's the most accurate coverage factually of any labor negotiation I've been involved in. I read that quote uh, and my feeling is when I saw it, Hembo was, you know what, if I'm a reporter or if I'm an editor and I see something like that, that to me is like the equivalent if Artie Moreno, who's considered to be the biggest hawk among the owners, said something like that and should give everybody pause about you know how this is being covered. Uh, it, to me, it's the equivalent of, and I'm not going to get into specific names in the politics, but imagine the most left-leaning politician or the most right-leaning politician. That's who Scott is in this negotiation. And he's saying right. the coverage is awesome. That should really, I think, make people think 
about how this is being uh, how this is being reported. What do you think? Yeah, you've long said that baseball uh, reflects where we are as a country and as we are societally. And I'm not sure there could be a um, better illustration than this because what happens is we all now feel, based upon our political climate, we have to pick a tribe. And that, like Scott Boris isn't a neutral arbitrator in all this. Right. <laughs> he, he, he is like the face of the players. So the notion that he would say that publicly on the record tells us all we need to know about the way this has been covered. I've been, frankly, made uncomfortable by how pro-player this has been. And I'm not pro either side because that's not my freaking job. And it isn't most people's job except the fans to create such a side. So I'm with you here. Like that's, that's where we are with the negotiations, that these people are so insulated in their bubbles that Scott Boris is comfortable saying that. And you know what? I think he's right. <laughs> yeah. If Rob Manfred said it's the most accurate coverage factually of any labor negotiation I've been involved <laughs> in, that would be the equivalent to Scott saying it. And again, if I'm an editor and I oversee this coverage and I'm a reporter involved in the coverage, that would give me pause and, and ask questions about exactly what's going on. All right. Hembo, thanks for doing this. Later, man. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster Bleacher tweets for a Thursday. First up, we have our pal Cameron Black at blind underscore QB. Cameron writes in, I see that one of the items up for change is larger bases. Could you please break down the advantages and disadvantages to this proposal? Yeah, so bigger bases, uh, potentially that gives more space for the fielder and the base runner to, you know, to do what they need to do and maybe reduce the chance for a collision. I think a lot of it is about player safety, as Rich Hill and I were talking about. Uh, and if it's a bigger base, it means that the base runners might be slightly closer to second uh, Major League Baseball, hoping that this helps to foster more stolen bases, more action on the bases. Andrew DeSalvo is up next at DeSalvotion. Andrew writes in, I was at Magic Kingdom on Sunday and saw only three Major League Baseball related shirts or hats being worn. Three, I saw more NHL and MLS shirts than Major League Baseball, over under 14.5% of fans who will ultimately not return to their previous level of MLB fandom this year. 14.5 sounds kind of reasonable. It's It's got to be in double digits. Yeah, Andrew, it's it's funny you did. I actually thought of that uh, before I saw your your tweet. I actually had thought about you know trying to put a percentage on it. My my thought number that I came up with is about ten percent. So we're right in the same ballpark. Jackson at Summer of Jack is up next. Hey Buster, has there been any buzz about the new Apple TV deal causing a stir within the MLB lockout talks? The timing seemed incredibly awkward for everyone, including the fans. Yeah. And players immediately responding, saying, see, you got more money. You should be able to make a deal. Why be so, dr so draconian? Yeah, not a bad uh, tack to take. Let's go to Trevor Dunning for our last tweet of the day at TL Dunning. TL Dunning writes in, isn't banning the shift like banning de zone defense in basketball? It just makes a better offensive product. Yeah, Trevor, uh, I would agree with you. I've come around on this. I think it's really hard to just tell hitters, yeah, just go the other way, slap it the other way. Not everybody is Tony Gwynn. Uh, and, and the pitchers throw harder than ever, as I was talking about with Rich. Um, so I've come around on the idea of, of limiting shifts or banning shift or somehow regulating shifts because baseball needs more action. They, they need more going on during the course of games. I get it. Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter, and please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
That's it for today. My thanks to Rich, Hembo, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.